Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, good evening, Cork Church. Lovely to be here again. Um, praise God. I. We have some wonderful young adults in this church, and um, recently a few of them pushed me into addressing a topic in UCC that I wasn't overly comfortable addressing, but I I thank God for them, you know, um, that, you know, sometimes we have to address topics that we're not totally comfortable with. Isn't that true? So this topic is, it's about the fear of God. Um, now, there's one word in that sentence that makes this tricky. I'll give you a wild guess. <laughs> Wrong. So, yes, the word fear. Because, of course, um, the majority of the time, that's a negative word. And it carries something with us that we don't really want to talk about most of the time. Um, I guess there's, you know, there's rational fear. You could be afraid of walking around your neighborhood after seven o'clock at night. That's a completely rational fear, but it's not a nice thing. It's a horrible thing. It's not something anybody wants. Um, there's irrational fear. Uh, there's people all over the world with irrational phobias. We can have some of them ourselves. You could have a fear of wide open spaces or a fear of Spiders, as if a spider could actually do anything to you. (laughs) Anyone here? (laughs) Now, these are not necessarily rational fears, but they're very real. And they're not nice. They can actually seize people up physically and mentally. So, there's a lot of fear that is horrible. Um, But there's also fear... If you think it through, there is also fear that's fine, even in, even in just our natural living. I was just trying to think about this, and you know, one, one picture that came to my mind was um, that beautiful spot in County Clare, the Cliffs of Moher. I love the Cliffs of Moher, absolutely. They're, they're majestic, they're amazing. I take visitors there over the years, I'm sure some of you have been there. But they strike fear as well. And, you know, particularly when you're there, I remember being there with the children when they were smaller, and your fear is that they'll walk out too close to the edge and they will not survive. No matter how, how much they don't want to have fear, or I don't want to have fear, the reality is they will not survive the drop. So having a fear of that is completely healthy and good and right, and it's part of the Cliffs of Moher experience. I don't want there to be no Cliffs of Moher, just so I can't, don't have a fear. I don't want them to put a big wall to stop my fear. This is a a necessary part of that majestic thing called the Cliffs of Moher. So there's nothing wrong with certain aspects of fear. And such is the case with the fear of God. And I want to speak tonight on it not so much from the theory of it. I mean, we could give you the pros and the cons and what the scriptures say and what this, you know, as if it's 
a mental exercise to figure it out. But it's more, I believe, it's more about an experience. It's more about an awareness of something. Someone. And that's, that's the angle that I want to take from it. So I want to look first, I want to look at two questions really tonight. First question is the obvious one. What is the fear of God? Can we describe it in some way that gets us away from a wrong thinking about it to a right thinking about it? And it's, this is basic stuff. There's nothing, no, no rocket science in it. We're just taking basic scriptural principles. And then the second question is, well, how does one arrive at it? Is there anything we can take from the scripture as to how we might come at an experience of it rather than just a mental acknowledgement of it? And I want then to, as part of that, just to look at an example, a, a story. I, I love a story in the Word of God. I, I, I love just something to be illustrated. Maybe my mind isn't too good at abstract stuff, but I like when there's a story that shows me something of this. So we'll get into that in the life of, of Jacob as we go through this. But first of all, first of all, let's pray. Just ask the Lord for his help. Lord, this is a, not an easy topic. I know it's something that I could easily mess up and get wrong, and I just ask you, Holy Spirit, for your help then to rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord Jesus, that we would benefit from what you have to say to us tonight, Lord, that we would be strengthened and balanced and put on, our, on a right equilibrium in our lives now by your word. Holy Spirit, help us. We need you this night. Amen. So what is the fear of God? And I want to talk about three types of fear of God. There could be more, but this is just where I've arrived at. The first one is an unhealthy fear of God. And I think we have to address this first because it's the pit we all tend to fall into a little bit with this topic. An unhealthy fear of God. And this comes at us very early in the Word of God. The very first reference to fear was an unhealthy fear. It was an unhealthy one. Right back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve have disobeyed the one command God gave them. He gave them absolute freedom, and he gave them freedom to obey or disobey, which is the absolutest of freedom, to be like him. And they disobeyed that command. God came to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening, as he did, it would appear, and to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. But because they had sinned and eaten of the tree, they saw that they were naked, their innocence disappeared, and they went and they hid in the trees and the bushes, away from God. And God said, Adam, where are you? And he said, Lord, I heard your voice, and I was afraid. And I hid because I knew I was naked. I was afraid. Now that was an un... It was a fear of God for sure, but unhealthy. Unhealthy because Adam and Eve are now sick. Sickness has come into their spirit. <clears throat> and I believe that this unhealthy fear of God, this fear that is related to guilt, guilty fear... This is something that can plague, it plagues everyone who has any bit of a conscience. I know probably there are other people here, my background, I grew up in, we have a thing called Catholic guilt, 
where your view, your lens of God, and it carries forward even into your Christian life when you come from that background, probably from other backgrounds as well. I can't speak for other backgrounds, where God is there with a stick, and he is just waiting for you to mess up. He's just waiting. And then when you do mess up, you sort of cover it up so you hope he won't notice. You kind of hope that somehow the all-seeing, almighty God won't notice that you've just done something bad. So you hide. There's a hiding. There's a shame. There's a sense of nakedness. And you know, this can trap believers for years into a performance type of experience where they're constantly trying to please God out of a fear, an unhealthy fear, as if God is out to just catch us out. And he's set a standard here, and we can't meet it, so we're always falling short, but we're always hoping he won't notice. We're always hiding, and you know how it goes. You sin, you do something wrong, yes, it's wrong. What's your response? You hide. You don't come to church You don't want to deal with people. You back away into the trees. Unhealthy fear. Before you know a healthy fear, the unhealthy fear must be dealt with. Absolutely must. And there's one antidote for that. It's crystal clear and I'm just going to read, you needn't turn, it's not my main text will be later, but just to read a few verses in 1 John 4, in this letter of the Apostle John, he writes, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We were singing about that tonight. We, we've come to know it. We've arrived at knowing the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. That's what we're saying. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Perfect love. The love that's better than the love of your spouse, your children, your parents, your Christian brothers and sisters. It's perfect love. Perfect, total, complete, unending, unblemished, unchanged by anything we do. It drives out fear. Drives it out. And it mu- the, the antidote to an unhealthy fear is an understanding, a coming to know, as he says, this perfect love. To know that, Lord, no matter what I'm like, no matter who I am, no matter even what I do, even as an unbeliever, no matter what I have been like, his love is perfect. He so loves even the haters of God that he gave his only son. And this is the revelation that once and for all, deals with unhealthy fear, that there is no need to have this unhealthy fear. We have no reason to have it. He loves us. He will never leave us. 
He paid completely for every sin, every, any sin. Bring it to the light. Bring it to the cross. It's been dealt with. There's no issue. Just bring it to the cross. If you've been living, let's, if you're listening here online, and you, you're living in a, in a religious guilt, there is no need for it. He's done the work. All of God's wrath against sin, his disapproval of sin, and he does hate sin. He cannot dwell with it. It cannot enter his presence. But all of that has been poured out on Jesus Christ at Calvary. Every piece of it. Again, it's perfect, perfect love. There's not room for any gaps in it. There's no space left for any but, but I did this, or but I've screwed up that. No. Perfect love. It all has been poured out on Jesus. So God, God's anger and wrath and hatred of sin has been satisfied. Come to Jesus. That's the, that's the, the, the revelation of perfect love. Cast it out. So that's, that's that unhealthy fear. And it, do you know what? It's, I think it's one of the, the great blessings of the Christian life and walk for us as we walk and walk and walk. We evermore come to know that love that just envelops us, that can deliver us, deliver us, and deliver us from an unhealthy, guilty, shameful fear of the Lord. We can be absolutely free in his presence. We don't, we don't have to cross ourselves. We don't have to somehow genuflect up when we come up here. We don't have to take our shoes off. We can just be here in the presence of God because the blood of Jesus has taken away it all and he loves us entirely and he's free to love us and we're free to love him. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? Hallelujah. Moving on then, the, I think there's also what I would call an incomplete fear of God. I'm not going to spend too much time on this but I do believe from scripturally that there is perhaps innate in people, even in children, that we're born with some consciousness of God, that there's an incomplete fear of God that can be diminished then as you grow older with lies and just living in the spirit of the world. But there can be devout people in the world who don't know God, but yet who do fear him. The word of God tells us about this. He says there was a man named Cornelius. He was a devout man and he feared God and all his house. He did. He didn't say he was living in unhealthy fear. Or he was just going around guilt-ridden or he was full of self-righteousness. It says he feared God. But it was incomplete because he didn't know the Lord. And he didn't have a relationship. So there's an incomplete fear of the Lord, I believe, that's to do with devout people. And I believe, like Cornelius, the Lord and the Holy Spirit would bend over backwards to reach these people through you and me and others. It's incomplete, though, because there, there's a healthy and complete fear of God that is a loving reverence, respect, and honor of God. Simple. There's no mystery to this. In 
a relationship. It's in a relationship. It's not divorced from a relationship. That's why Cornelius was incomplete. Your neighbor who you truly believe, perhaps, they do, they do have a devout fear of God. They, they, they don't want to do certain things to offend God. But without a relationship, it's incomplete. We could honor and respect and even revere certain people, but we might not know them at all. I have great respect and honor for certain people who've done certain things, who've done good, not to a lesser degree, of course, than God, but I don't know them. Also, I know people and love people, and I don't necessarily reverence them. They're just my friends, my buddies. But with God, it's love, friendship, and respect and reverence together in one. And I think we need to be careful we don't fall on either side of it. This is a complete relationship. And I think it's wonderfully captured in the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. He's our Father. The close. He's, He's our family. We can be free with him. In heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Holy. It's the first thing we say. You're our Father. We love you, you love us, you did everything for us, but holy is your name. We sing it, holy is your name, I don't want to take it in vain. Holy is your name. Stop laughing, Isaac. (laughs) I promise I won't do it again. This complete, healthy, loving, reverent fear of God. The scripture tells us a few things about it. It tells us that it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Not the beginning of smarts or intelligence or cleverness, but wisdom. Your education, your work training, that will all teach you how to be capable and smart and how to do stuff but it won't teach you necessarily one ounce of wisdom. But the fear, this reverence of God, it, it circumscribes your life in wisdom. In wisdom. Because one of, the, one of the aspects of it is, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Yeah. To hate it. And if we go through life and we're smart and we're clever and we've got all things figured out, but we're kind of, we just, we're not that pushed about you know, we have a loose attitude to evil. That's, we, will, we will end up in foolish things. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Joseph, that was Joseph's secret. Down there in Egypt, all on his own. Stuck in the middle of a pagan land. Every excuse, abandoned by his family. Left rot and die by his brothers. Every excuse to indulge himself in something wrong and wicked. Every excuse to go and cavort with Potiphar's wife, what would stop him? Who's? But he said, years later, he said to his brothers when he was, he was working through some situation with them, he said, for I fear God. That was, his, that was his shield. And it says the fear of the Lord, it's a strong confidence. It's a strong tower. It, in a sense, I believe it, 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 it displaces other fears. 
Other fears, do you know, this world, it's filled with fear. We ourselves can be filled with fears and anxieties. But Jesus says, don't fear this person and that person. Don't fear the person who can do that or that, but fear him. He puts everybody else and every other situation into context. We fear losing our job. We fear our financial future. We fear our health. If we fear the Lord truly in that loving, reverent relationship more than we do, we would know, Lord, all of this rest stuff is just, it's, it's small compared to you. It's strong confidence. It, the word of God tells us it's a fountain of life that offers escape from the snares of death. It stops us from messing up. It keeps us, again, it's like a shield around us to just guard our path. There's many more things we could say about it, but I want to just move on to an actual account in the Word of God of a person, of of Jacob, who had an encounter. So this is my second question. How do we arrive at this? And I believe it's a journey. It's like everything in our Christian walk. It's a journey. It's a journey that must always, as we said at the start, the journey must start with love. The journey doesn't start with some unhealthy fear. It starts with love. Love is the, is, is the starting blocks. It's the groundwork. That journey goes forward in obedience. And I believe it goes on into awakening to the fear of the Lord. Awakening. And I want to speak, uh, turn maybe to Genesis chapter 28 then, please. And we'll just look at this matter in the life of Jacob, where I believe he had an awakening. And this is the awakening I want. And I don't, it's not just necessarily a once-off thing, but through our lives that we could be awakened again and again to something amazing. Genesis 28, please. And just the start of this chapter, let's, let's talk about Jacob first. Let me just get a drink here. <clears throat> so for, for, for those who, who don't know the background, Jacob is one of the two sons of Isaac, the son of Abraham. He's a twin, and God has promised his mother while he was still in the womb that the promised line would be through Jacob. Even though he would be the younger to be born of the twins, he would be the one who God had his hand and favor on for the Messiah and the promises. So she knows this. He knows this, no doubt about it. Isaac knows this, no doubt about it. But despite this knowledge, growing up, Jacob cheats and lies and deceives and twists and turns his way to getting that same blessing and birthright that he's been promised. He catches his brother Esau in a moment of weakness, gets him to sell his birthright to him when he's collapsing with hunger. With his mother's direction, he deceives his father, who's blind and dresses up in the clothes and smell, skin smell of his older brother to bring food to his father, for his father to bless him, thinking it's Esau. 
So, though the, the promise of God is on this life, the blessing of God is on him, he, he's, he's starting out in blessing. He doesn't have to earn it. He doesn't have to get it. He's starting out with it on his life. But yet he's pushing and shoving and striving. And Now, I know it's more nuanced. There's, more, there's layers to it. There's the layers of Esau's re- absolute terrible attitude to his birthright. There's the layer that Jacob was after something good at the end of the day. There's the layer that Isaac should have known better than to be blessing his son Esau with the blessing that was meant for Jacob. So there's a lot more to it than that. But just taking the, the character issue, this guy Jacob had a lot to learn. He was a bit conscienceless in his dealings. And as a result of all of this carry on, he's sent off to back to where they come from in near Babylon or near Ur of the Chaldees. Or sorry, Haran, which is up in I think modern day Syria, Turkey area. And let's just take a reading then from Genesis 28, start of it. Now this is Isaac blessing Jacob. And again, there's no deception here. There's no, this is eyes wide open. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So again, it's blessing, 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 blessing. Isaac is unhesitatingly blessing his son here, showering him with love, showering him even despite his behavior, despite the fact that he's just hoodwinked his father. This is such a type of God to us. All our bad behavior and all our just wrangling. He just blesses. Blessing, blessing, blessing. So the journey starts in love and blessing. Now it moves forward in obedience. Jacob is obeying. He's going out on the journey. And you know, I believe the steps of our journey, brothers and sisters, must be steps of obedience. And obedience will bring us forward into that knowledge of the Lord. So he steps forth in obedience, goes out on the journey. And let's go forward then to verse 11. It says, he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke. Here's the awakening. He awoke from his sleep. 
and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he'd put under his head, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat, clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. What a wonderful awakening. He had an awakening to an awareness. And that awareness was the awesomeness of God. And not only that, but that God was there in his life and he didn't realize it. He's just this place that to him is just a, a rest spot, a field, just an old rock that he puts his clothes on to create a pillow. Some non-event of a place, like your life, like my life, just a nothing thing. Just a, a journey we're, we're going on, we don't take any much notice of come day, go day, God send Sunday. But he awakens to an awareness that it's not just that, him lying in a field, that there's a ladder to the very heavens with the Son of Man standing at the top and angels ascending and descending. He comes to an understanding that God is in his life in a way he never knew. And I believe that's the awareness that God wants to bring us into. And he was afraid, but he didn't run. He stayed. It's an awesome thing how God is in our lives. And we don't even know it. We think we're on our own. As Andy was reading, we think we're separated from that love. And all along, there's angels going up and angels going down. The Holy Spirit is doing his work. All along, God is there, working things out, hovering over the very spot we're in. And it's an awesome thing. And oh, for an awakening in our hearts that God is there, that would grip us with a holy wonderful fear of the Lord. He was afraid. He said, this is none other than the house of God and the gateway to heaven. That's the reality of our lives. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit and we don't really realize it most of the time. But oh, Holy Spirit, waken us to the awareness of an awesome God that we would tremble and fear and stay right where we are. Hallelujah. Not run to hide. Stay right where we are. Go back to sleep. Wake in the morning. Rest. Turn your pillow of 
indolent nothingness into a pillar of marking God's presence. The house of God. We are the house of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God is working even if I don't know it. Oh, this is, a, this is an amazing God we have. If we could only grasp it. And he didn't just have some experience, some, some slaying in the spirit, some strange experience that left him unchanged. He launched his life on this. It's no longer God saying things to Abraham and to Isaac. It's God and him. And folks, it can't just be about God saying things to Pastor Nick and to you. Or to Andy, to you, to Pastor Patrick, to you. It's God and you. It's God and you. And you launching your life on those promises. And he even makes a bargain with God. I love it. Jacob, you can't take the, you can't take the businessman out of him even here. <laughs> you, Lord, you keep me, I'll... Let's do a deal. This is not a guy cowering in fear, but it's a guy knowing fear at the awesome God. I'll give you a tenth of everything. He puts his money down on it. He launches his life on it. He takes God seriously. Oh, I wish I took God more seriously. Not in some long-faced, head-wrecking, miserable way, but in a way that's real. And he moves forward then into his next phase of life. He is heading into 20 years of, of life, of all the things that make up life. He's not heading into 20 years of some kind of just monastery existence. He's going into 20 years of love, falling in love, falling out of love, getting married, getting betrayed, marrying the wrong one, marrying the right one, having children, handling war between the wives, a terrible employer who changes his wages 10 times, all the down and dirty real stuff of life. But in this, something abides with him. And it's the awareness of God. And this is what awaits us all. It's blessing and trouble. Trouble and blessing. No escape. He had the same. He blessing, he trouble. He trouble, he blessing. But... He sums up in chapter 31, and we'll wrap up with this, where he's deciding that it's time to leave his uncle Laban. That because the Lord is blessing Jacob, not through his own scheming, not through his own wheeling and dealing, because he's up against, he's up against a crook. 
If he's a crook, he's just met a bigger one. And he realizes, I can't, this, I can't deal with this guy. And he says, the time has come to leave. Laban's not as favorable to him as he was anymore. So he, he gathers his wives. And in, in verse 5 of chapter 31, he says, I see, he's talking to his wives, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. This was the awareness he had right through this time. Not that he worked out an outwitting strategy to deal with Laban as the old Jacob would have. He says, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength. Your father has cheated me, changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. Everything that Jacob now is living, he has an additional awareness that at every turn God is there. Every time Laban changes the goalposts, God produces a different result with the sheep and cattle. God does it, God does it, God does it. And I'm sure these were stressful years. But God was there and he had an awareness of it. And in fact, later on, he con- when Laban confronts him, he- Jacob says to him, These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, not a curious phrase, the fear of Isaac, something of that godly fear lodged in him. If he had not been with, on my side, not just with me, but on my side, Surely now you would have seen, sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. I just think it's, this, is, this is a man transformed by an awareness of God. God, 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 God. Hallelujah. The Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I believe this glorious, wonderful fear of the Lord, it kept Jacob. It gave him wisdom. It kept him and protected him from the snares of death. It was his strong confidence. It was everything that the word of God says. The fear of the Lord is. And so it can be for us. And my prayer in my life, and I trust, I trust if this word resonates with you, that, that you'll make this your prayer. Lord, give me an awakening. This could come through an event in your life. It could come through something God does. It could come gradually. It could come in a time of worship. It could come through some suffering. But wake me up into an awareness of you that I might truly fear you. 
in the way you ought to be feared. And that my life might be mightily blessed as a consequence. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.